All right, let's go. Get out your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be in Acts 16. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a Bible underneath the seat you were sitting in, and you're going to want one. So reach down there. It's a blue Bible. Go ahead and pull that out. Acts 16 is where we're going to be this morning. And Acts 16 in the blue Bible is on page 1024. Acts 16, page 1024. I don't know what page it is in your Bible. Uh, you have to figure that one out on your own. Um, but that's where we're going to be, Acts 16, page 1024. 24. Uh, we've been in Acts now for a long time. We were in Acts all of last summer. We took a break and now we're back in it this summer. And we've come to chapter 16. Chapter 16 of Acts uh, at first glance might be a little confusing. Uh, if you've been reading ahead or maybe you've been reading along with our, with our reading plan here at Flourishing Grace, chapter 16, it looks like at first glance, it's kind of these jumbled stories, right? And which, which it kind of is, right? Luke was a historian. He's, he's writing a historical account uh, to give to this guy, the author so that Theophilus might know kind of the history of the early church. And so Luke's just re like writing down these stories. But I believe that there's an unbelievable purpose and a weight to this that, that we might not catch at first glance, right? I, it, it takes the, the, the gift of hindsight to kind of look back and, and see from, from an elevated view, the elevated view of hindsight to say, oh, I see what God was doing there, Right? You guys have experienced this in your life at some point, I'm sure. At least some of you who are a little bit older, right? For those of you who are younger, you will experience this, I promise you. Like a season of life where everything has just gone dark, okay? You can't figure out what God is doing. You don't know why he's doing this. All you know is that there's pain. There's sorrow. There's worry. There's anxiety. There's stress. You're like, what are you doing? I don't understand. Everything's confusing. Everything's unfamiliar. I, I, I've totally jacked this up and there's no way out. Right? Um, maybe for you is a season where you lost your job. Or maybe it was a season when your girlfriend or your boyfriend dumped you and broke up with you. Um, maybe it was a season where the doctor called and it was bad news. Uh, I don't know what it is for you. But there was a season of your life where you just couldn't see past that present moment. You were so caught up in what was presently happening. You're like, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Maybe it was your own sin. I had a season in my life where my own sin just destroyed everything. It just destroyed everything. It destroyed relationships and friendships and all kinds of, just caused all kinds of problems and pain and sorrow. And, and now, some, I don't know, 15 years later, I look back with this gift of hindsight, this elevated view, kind of 30,000 feet. I look back and I say, oh, I see what you're doing. You see, if it wasn't for those events in my life, I would have never met my wife. It was out of that season in my life that I said, man, I've got to get out of this. I've got to get away from these friends. I've got to get away from this place. I just, I just need something different. So I moved into this guy's basement in the south side of Chicago in one of the worst crime-riddled neighborhoods in the entire city. And I was like, dude, I just need a place where no one's going to find me for a little while. That guy's wife was friends with my now wife, Desiree, and that's how we met. My boys wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that disaster of a season. Deep friendships, men who were just so far ahead of me spiritually that I just cling to in that moment are now unbelievably good friends in ministry. I would have never met them. I would have never known them, and especially not in that way, if it wasn't for that season of just darkness and wandering, that dark hour of the soul where now I can look back and be like, thank you for that. But in the moment, I was like, why are you doing this? Make it stop, please, just make it stop. You guys know what I'm talking about? Is this true of anybody? We're going to see that this morning. This, this is how the gift of hindsight gives us an ability to see something 
far more beautiful than what we see in, in the present moment. Far more beautiful than what we see in the present moment. So the first thing that we see as we, as we kind of look at these men and we're saying, yeah, God, why are, you, why are you doing this? We see this call, a call to faithfulness before there's a call to specific action. Okay, so here's what happens. If you were here last week, Binger uh, talked about the end of chapter 15. At the end of chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas are in an all-out fight. These two godly men who love Jesus are at absolute odds with each other over the person of John Mark. You see, John Mark had kind of screwed over Paul, and Paul's like, I'm not taking him with us. And Barnabas is like, no, 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 we should give him another chance. Paul's like, no, that guy, I don't want anything to do with him. Okay, he's not coming with me. I'm not, I'm not traveling the world with him. Listen, you know what I'm talking about, like a road trip with like the worst guy. Paul's like, no, I'm not, he's not coming with us. And Barnabas is like, no. And so they go separate ways. Paul's like, fine, you go. I'm going to go the opposite direction. And so Paul leaves. He leaves in this, in this kind of sinful act, this anger, this frustration, this rage against each other, stubbornly. He's like, okay, I'm taking Silas and I'm out. So Paul and Silas leave. And they go north. They go up through Syria. And they begin to revisit some of the churches that Paul had already planted. Right? If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about a uh, play, place called uh, Lystra. Paul goes back to Lystra. And he's revisiting the church there. And he planted a church there. And he, he had led a few uh, ladies to Christ. Uh, a mom and her daughter. And he'd heard that somewhere in between, this daughter's son was just like, had this unbelievable faith and this unbelievable character, and he wanted to meet this kid. And so he goes back to Lystra, and he meets this kid. This kid's name was Timothy. Anybody heard of Timothy? No? Okay, he's got two books in the Bible named after him. Um, Timothy. Timothy. All right, Paul goes back and he meets Timothy and he says, hey, Timothy, why don't you come with me? Why don't you, why don't you join with me in ministry? I, we're going to travel around. We're going to plant churches. Timothy's like, I'm in. 20-year friendship. 20-year friendship. And this mentor relationship. If it wasn't for the disagreement that happens between Paul and Barnabas, this kind of, this moment of sin and frustration, God, why are you doing this? We don't get First and Second Timothy, two books that have transformed people's lives. We don't get Timothy, this unbelievable pastor who, who went again and again and again to different churches throughout this region, correcting their theology, engaging in the problems that they were having, kind of pastoring them back to the gospel. We don't have that. We don't have that. If, if, if we don't see it. So even in the very first few verses of chapter uh, 16, we see this kind of unfolding. We see this picture that as, if we can zoom out, and God is working among us. Even though we don't see it, he's working among us. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy, they begin this kind of season of wandering. But God doesn't tell them where to go. They're in a season of spiritual wandering. If you look at uh, verse 6, chapter 16, verse 6. And they, Paul, Silas, Timothy, they went through the region of Phygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go to uh, Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. All right, so here, here's what's happening. Paul, right, right, the author of the majority of the New Testament, doesn't know what to do. You don't know what to do. There's, there's no specific call. There's, there's no specific, specific call on where he's supposed to go. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to go to Asia. And the Spirit of God's like, no, you're not. Don't go there. Okay, I'll go to the Bithynia. Hmm. And then eventually he goes, okay, how about, how about Troas? Crickets. 
Okay, we'll go to Troas, right? He's like, not sure, right? But what we see from Paul is a broad faithfulness. Though there's no specific call on his life, there is a season of broad faithfulness, right? We, we can all practice broad faithfulness. Because you don't, you don't need to know the, the will of God for your life. You don't need anybody to tell you that. It's all over the Bible, right? Paul knows the will of God for his life. To be faithful to the call of Christ. To be a disciple of Christ. To model, to work to model his life after the person of Jesus. To keep in step with the Spirit. To be faithful to the Word of God. To go, therefore, and to make disciples. To plant churches. He knows, he knows broad faithfulness. He doesn't need anyone to tell him what to do. The Word of God has told him what to do. Jesus has told him what to do. And Jesus told you what to do. And so even if maybe, maybe this morning, this is where you are. You're in this season of spiritual wandering where you're like, I don't know. Like, who am I supposed to marry? I don't know. Like, what career am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go to college? I don't, I don't know. Where am I supposed to live? Why am I here? You're in this season of kind of spiritual wandering. And you're not sure. You're not sure. You're kind of doubting some things in life. And you're just asking God, God, would you just show me what you want me to do? Crickets. You're like, I think I'm going to do this. And he's like, no, don't do that. You're like, but tell me what to do. There's silence. Broad faithfulness. Broad faithfulness. When we say, man, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm going to be 100% faithful until God gives me 100% clarity. I'm not 100% sure where he's calling me, but I'm going to be 100% faithful until he gives me 100% clarity. I'm going to be, just be faithful in this moment and in this season of my life. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to strive to become more like him. I'm going to trust in his word. I'm going to love his church. I'm going to share the gospel with my neighbors until he tells me what to do. Because he already has told you what to do. And here's the thing, God brings unbelievable fruit out of broad faithfulness. If you're in this, if you're in this point of life where you feel like it's just, there's nothing good happening because God hasn't given you this clear call, God is working in your life. He's doing amazing things. If you are faithful, if you're being faithful, he's doing amazing things. He's, br he's bringing fruit out of your broad faithfulness. Here's what happens. There's something that happens um, in verse 10. Actually, we haven't even gotten to verse 10 yet. Where are we? Uh, verse 9. Paul's in Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. These guys are really smart, right? They're like, I think that God's calling us to Macedonia. It's like, duh, you just got a vision in the middle of the night of some guy saying, we need you in Macedonia. It's like the easiest thing ever, right? So God does give them, after a season of broad faithfulness, God gives them a clear and specific call. Macedonia. But in this season of spiritual kind of wandering, where Paul doesn't know where to go, something amazing happens. In verse 10, there's a word that does not appear anywhere in the book of Acts until chapter 16, verse 10. Do you guys see what it is? Any guesses? We. I think you were in the other gathering too. Cheater. Just kidding. We. We. Right? Look, look, verse 10. 
And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Listen, something happens. And we don't know exactly where this happens, but most scholars assume that's in Troas. There's, There's disagreement over this, but most scholars assume that in Troas, Paul meets a young physician, a doctor. He says, hey, God has appeared to me in in a vision in the middle of the night. He leads this guy to faith in Jesus, okay? He says, God has appeared to me in a vision in the the middle of the night and has called us to Macedonia. You want to come? The doctor quits his practice, gets in a boat, and sails to Macedonia with Paul. That guy's name was Luke. He wrote Acts. We wouldn't have the book of Acts. We wouldn't have the history of the early church if it wasn't for broad faithfulness in the midst of kind of the spiritual wandering. We wouldn't have the gospel of Luke. If it wasn't for broad faithfulness in the midst of spiritual wandering. Somewhere along the way, in all of this, in all of this, God is working in the midst of Paul's broad faithfulness. So they travel to Macedonia. The second thing I want us to see is that there's a call to faithfully follow in the midst of the unfamiliar. There's a call to faithfully follow God, even when things are unfamiliar. Like, this is weird. This is strange. I don't really know what I'm doing here. There's a call to faithfully follow in the midst of what's unfamiliar. When, when Paul goes into a city, every single time in the book of Acts, okay, where's the first place he goes? Synagogue. There's a problem with that in Macedonia. Verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage... Samothrace, and following the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and then we remain there in the city for some days. Okay, so Paul sails from Troas, right? Uh, he sails to Macedonia. They arrive in, the, in this port city, but Paul says, no, we got to go inland. We got to go to Philippi. We got to go to Philippi. Philippi is the leading city. It's the place of culture, the, the hub of where everything's happening the trading, the commerce, the business. Everything happens in Philippi. That's where we got to go. And of course, where are they going to go when they get to Philippi? The synagogue. But there's no synagogue in Philippi. It's a strange place. Look at verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed. There was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. The one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart to, be, to pay attention to the gospel that Jesus, the King of all kings, God of all gods has stepped into time and given his life for her. And after she was baptized, that's the first act of being a follower of Jesus. When you give your life to Jesus, the first act is baptism. And her and her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay and she prevailed upon us. So he, here's what happens. Paul goes into Philippi and on the Sabbath, he's like, all right, let's go to the synagogue. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. What does that mean? You see, in in Hebrew culture, for the Hebrew people, uh, in order to establish a synagogue in any city, in any town, what you need is a thing called minyah. Minyah is is simply this. It's the minimum amount of men you need to establish a synagogue. Men, not women. Sorry, ladies. You need a minimum amount of men. Guess how many it is? Ten. 
Ten dudes. That's all you need. Ten faithful Jewish men. This is still true to this day, right? Um, in Dubrovnik, Yugoslavia, in Dubrovnik, uh, before World War II, there was a hustling, bustling synagogue in Dubrovnik. The Nazis roll into town. They seek to eradicate the Jews. Post-World War II, there's only 17 Jews left in the entire city. Ten women, seven men. And they can no longer establish synagogue. They don't have enough guys. They don't have minyah. And so when, when Paul goes into Philippi, suddenly he realizes this, this is unfamiliar. Right? He goes to the synagogue because that's where the Jewish men are. Paul's a Jewish man, and there's a clear link from, from the Hebraic teachings to the Messiah. The Messiah has come. The Christ has come. There's a clear, familiar bridge that we can work with here. Paul goes into Philippi, and not only is there no clear, familiar bridge, there's no Jewish men. They go down to the riverside because that's where you would have a place of prayer. We could do, you could do uh, J- Jewish uh, rituals that would require water. He goes down there and guess what? It's only ladies. There's no Jewish men. What, where are we? This place is strange. This place is weird. I don't recognize this. I don't know what to do. But Paul looks at these ladies and he says, you know what? Here, me too. And he preaches the gospel to these women. And there's one named Lydia, a seller of purple goods, this, this, this entrepreneur of her day, manufacturing these beautiful cloths of purple. And she hears the gospel proclaimed, and her eternity is transformed. In the midst of unfamiliarness, there's faithfulness. And God works in the midst of that faithfulness. How many of you were not born in Utah? Show of hands. Okay, all of you. Uh, almost all of you. Just kidding. Keep them up. No, 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 no. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. This is like that game at the weddings where it's like, who's been married the longest? Keep them up. Okay? Not born in Utah. Show of hands. How many of you have been here for less than 10 years? Less than 10 years. You've been here less than 10 years. Less than 10 years. Oh, yeah, we're going the opposite way. Uh, less than 10 years. Still the vast majority. You've been here less than 10 years. How many of you have been here less than, we'll say, five years? Less than five years. Okay, still most of you. You guys don't count. Um, (laughs) But even without you, it's still most of you. Okay, let's do this. Less than two years. You've been here less than two years. Okay, still like a third of the room. Less than two years. How many of you have been here less than a year? That's still a lot. Less than a year. Okay, for those of you who weren't born here, how many of you would say, I mean, Utah, when I first came here, Utah's a strange place. All of you. Okay. (laughs) I even saw some hands of people who were born here and say, this is a strange place. Yeah, Utah's a weird place, right? You come here, if 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 you're not familiar with Utah, you come here and you're like, this place is strange. It's unfamiliar than the place that you are from in a lot of ways, right? I was just, just this week, I was talking to somebody who was born and raised here in Utah, And we're talking about the kids that were going to go play on the thing that we call a trampoline. Unless you're from Utah. You call it a a tramp. Which is weird. And inappropriate. Hey kids, why don't you guys go out in the backyard and jump on the tramp? What is wrong with you? Where I'm from, uh, we have Costco. Costco, there's Costco in Utah. There's Costco, I'm from Chicago. Uh, There's Costco in Chicago too. So the Costco in Chicago has a, has a section where they sell alcohol. Costco in Utah doesn't have that section, but they do have a section that sells conservative women's dresses and swimwear. 
You know that doesn't exist in any other Costco anywhere. Like that's not a thing, that's strange, it's unfamiliar. Food, period, um, right? In, in Utah, like it's, everybody eats ice cream and fry sauce, right? Nobody eats good food here. They're like, we have fry sauce. You just put fry sauce on it and it tastes good, which is actually true. I love fry sauce, um, but there's this thing called good food, uh, which is better than, better than fry sauce. They just don't know what that is here. It's a strange and unfamiliar place that we are in. There's a spiritual strangeness here, right? Where you are from, the town where you're from, my guess is that there's multiple uh, just faithful gospel-centered evangelical churches that are just doing great things in your community. Uh, here, when you move here, and you're like, man, let's find a church. Let's, let's Google that. Oh, wait, there's one, maybe, at best, right? Like, that's, that's where we live. It's an unfamiliar place. And so you, you showed up here, um, m- many of you less than a year ago, most of you less than five years ago, and you're like, this is a little weird, It's a little strange. There's an unfamiliarity uh, in this place. And that unfamiliarity can do one of two things. It can drive you away or it can cause you to say, I'm going to be faithful in this season. This this is where God has me, and I don't know why. It's, It's unfamiliar. It's strange. I'm confused. But I'm just going to practice faithfulness. I'm going to practice faithfulness in this season, trusting that God is going to bring fruitfulness out of this. For those of you who are not from here, for those of you who are not born here, and even for those of you who were born here, I want you to remember this, okay? Remember this. God has brought you here for something far greater than your career. Most of you moved here for a job. He has something better for you than that. He has something far greater for you than your love for the outdoors. Maybe you moved here for the mountains, for the rivers, for the hiking, for the rock climbing, for the skiing, yes. He has something far better for you than that. Far better for you than that. Greater than the friends you may make along the way, and I pray that you make many. The question is, will you give your life to discovering his plan for you here? Will you walk in obedience to that end? Well, you have a Lydia moment where nothing goes according to plan. You don't know what you're doing. It's all unfamiliar. It's weird. And God shows up because you were faithful to follow. Will faithfulness mark the days you spend here? And if not, you will not last. And I believe that there's something greater in store for you that you will experience and that you will find that he will lead you to if you refuse to bail on Utah. The second piece of this is that there's a call to forsake comfort. There's a call to forsake comfort. When God calls us to something, it's not a call to comfort, ever, okay? Ever, read your Bible, ever. He never calls us to comfort. This is true in Macedonia. Um, Here's what happens in, in, in Macedonia. So the very next thing that happens, Paul and Silas and Timothy uh, and Luke, they're proclaiming the gospel. They go back to what's somewhat familiar. They go back down by the river to, to this place of prayer where people are gathering to hear about Jesus. And there's a slave girl who is demon-possessed that is following them everywhere. Like everywhere. And what she's saying is this. These men are servants of the Most High God and they're proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Everywhere they go. 
right? And this slave girl, she's making money for her owners because she can tell people's fortunes. She can tell them things about them um, that nobody else knows. And so people are paying to hear these fortunes. Um, and what she's declaring about Paul and Silas is they're servants of the Most High God and that they're proclaiming the way of salvation, which is good news, I guess. Here's a side note. Listen, even the demons are believers. God's not looking for believers, friends. He's looking for followers, faithful followers. I mean, he, doesn't, he doesn't need believers. He's got plenty of them in the demons, okay? He needs faithful followers who will give their lives to walk in step with Jesus, to be his disciples, to become like him, okay? Side note. Here's what Paul says. Paul gets greatly annoyed by this because he's constant. Like, I can't even think. Just stop. And finally, he just says, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And that very hour, the demon comes out, which is good news, right? Unless you're her owners, which are making a lot of money off of her. They get angry. They grab Paul and Silas. They bring them in the middle of town to the rulers, the magistrates of this, of this capital region. They say, these men are teaching us things that are unlawful for us to practice because they're saying Jesus is king, not Caesar. And so they stripped them naked, Paul and Silas, they stripped them naked in the middle of town, beat them with rods, throw them in the innermost cell of the prison, and fasten their feet in the stocks. Now friends, who's called Paul and Silas to Philippi? Not a trick question. Sunday school answer will do. God, yeah. God has called them to Philippi. God has called them to Philippi. He says, hey, come come to Philippi. Come on down where you're going to be stripped naked, beaten, and thrown into prison. It's not a call to comfort. In fact, it's a call to forsake comfort. There's nothing comfortable about this. Why has God done this? And so what does Paul do? He forsakes his faith. He says, I am out. I don't want anything to do with this anymore. I, the moment I get out of this prison, I'm never speaking the name of Jesus again. I want nothing to do with this. Just make it all stop now. I will do anything to find comfort. I'll do anything to just find just a little bit of satisfaction in my life. Certainly there's happiness somewhere else. No, he doesn't do that. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Faithfulness. In the midst of intense discomfort, faithfulness. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke, he saw the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, trembling with fear, and fell down before them, before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Fruitfulness in the midst of intense faithfulness. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord. They spoke the word of Jesus, King Jesus, to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then they brought him into his house and set food before them. And and he rejoicing along with his entire household that he had had believed in God. There's a call to forsake 
comfort. You see, God is moving in the midst of it all. God knows exactly what he's doing. We think, we think in our minds, clearly this is not going to, according to God's plan when God's like, no, 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 this is exactly the plan. Just chill, be faithful. I got this. But the, soon, the, moment, the moment we are just in any way, shape, or form uncomfortable, I'm not talking about being beaten and stripped naked. I'm talking about like any discomfort at all. Like, like my internet's not fast enough, okay? Like any discomfort at all. It's like, no, 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 this is not what God has for me. I'm out. And we see this all the time, right? Here, Utah. Let's be honest. It's an uncomfortable place. Amen? Ladies, of all the states... Utah is the hardest place to, to work as a woman. It's, there's not, we're not treated equally. You're not treated equally in Utah. It's an uncomfortable place. For our kids who grow up here, if they're, if they're not a part uh, of kind of a local faith, they're quickly kind of cast out and set aside. And like, no, 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 you, you do your thing, we're going to do our thing. It's hard to make friends. I've talked to fellows here at Flourishing Grace who are afraid of losing their jobs because they don't believe what their neighbors believe. It's an uncomfortable place. There's a spiritual element to this, spiritual element to this. The stat is that uh, the average pastor lasts in Utah for five years, only five years, and the average church planner lasts for 18 months. And from what I've seen in the past five years, so the tenure for the average Christian is not much longer, about the same. They just don't last here. There's a spiritual element to this. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, 12, he says this, For we, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Paul says there is more going on here than you can see. It's not just that it's hard to get a job or that, you're, that it's awkward to be a kid growing up here, right? There's, there's more to this. There's things that are going on behind the scenes that you don't see. There's a spiritual element to this. Powers of darkness. That's what we're wrestling against. Not our neighbors. No, we love them as we love ourselves. There's something far bigger, something far more beyond us. And so what do we do in this? What do we do? Here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember this. Suffering does not mean this is not what God has for you. So often in my life, I've watched people bail because they feel discomfort. Friends, God works in discomfort. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said of all of the books, like just genius, all the books on my shelf, you know what the best book is? Adversity. It's taught me more than any of the books on my shelf. God works in our discomfort. That's what he calls us to. There's something greater for you in the midst of suffering. And for those who are willing to faithfully endure, the call of Jesus in Matthew 28 is to go therefore. However, I would argue that the call on the lives of genuine followers of King Jesus, the disciples of our day and in our time and in our place, South Davis County, may very well be to stay therefore. Stay therefore. Not comfortable not familiar. I'm not sure exactly what he's doing. But I will stay and I'll be faithful and I'll see it through to the end. You see, I said at the very beginning of all of this that there's just moments of life where we're in the moment. We're like, all I want to do is escape. 
God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And what we need, what we need is hindsight. We need hindsight to be able to say, oh, that's what you're doing. Thanks for that. Many of you are in that moment right now, and you don't have hindsight. I want to show you something. Where, where are Paul and Silas? What town? Philippi, right? When we know that he planted a church there. Years later, Paul's an old man. He's in prison in Rome. He writes them a letter. I want to read to you just the very beginning of that letter. Philippians 1, 3 through 6. reads this way. Paul says this to, this to the people. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Right? Here's what he's saying. Remember the first day? Remember the first day when we like were old in the town and everything was like weird? We found some ladies down by the river. Remember that, Lydia? Remember that day? Yeah, from that day. Remember the first day when you saw me naked? That was awkward. I was beaten in the street and thrown into prison. Like from that day, I've just done nothing but praise God for you. You guys are amazing. Like God was working in that. Then he says this, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. How can he say that? How does he know? Because he has hindsight. In the prison when he's sitting there, he's not like, oh, this is all going to work out perfectly. He's not thinking that. I promise you. He's just being faithful. He's just being faithful. And he's seen, he's an old man, he's seen again and again and again and again Jesus bringing things to completion for our good. He's just bringing good out of evil again and again and again. And so whatever you're going through in this moment, whatever you're experiencing, whatever weird things are going on in your life, whatever your neighbors are saying, whatever your, your boss or your coworkers are doing, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he who has called you to this place, he who has you exactly where he has you in this season of your life, he's going to bring it to completion in the day of Jesus. And you will look back on that day and say, oh, I see what you were doing there. Thanks for that. Thanks for that season. My life would not have been the same if it weren't for that. I'll close with a story. Uh, Billy Graham. You guys know who Billy Graham was, the greatest evangelist of our time, maybe the greatest evangelist of all time. Billy Graham would stand on a stage and thousands of people would give their lives to Jesus. Billy Graham is just, he's just, just larger than life. Just a giant of our time. There's a story that goes like this. When kind of the height of his ministry, um, people would write him letters. And they would respond. His ministry would respond to every single letter, every single one that was written to him. And so he had like a room full of ladies that were just like handwriting letters and putting the envelopes and licking and stamping and stuffing and stuffing and licking and stamping just all day long. Thousands of people writing these letters. And one day Billy Graham walks into this room, like the mail room, and all these ladies just silence. What is he doing here? This is weird. What's he doing in the mailroom? The giant Billy Graham, he's here. Billy Graham looks at them. He says, I want you to know when we get to heaven, it's going to be a long line. You all are going to be in front of me in that line. And of course, they don't say anything because he's Billy Graham. But by their face, he can tell this dude's crazy. 
is Billy Graham. He's going to be like the first one in. He gets like a special like VIP service, right? They're going to like sh- chauffeur him to the door. And he says, no, God rewards faithfulness, not fruitfulness. God will reward your faithfulness, not your fruitfulness. Be faithful to that end. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning. We stand in your presence in this time, in this place. We know, uh, I know a lot of us in the room, in this season of our life, whether we are from Utah or not, um, man, we're just in a place. Maybe we're in a place of spiritual wandering. Maybe we're in a, a place of unfamiliarity. Maybe we're in a place of pain and sorrow. I pray this morning that you would remind us that you are exactly, that we are exactly where you have us. Not one step to the left, not one step to the right. We are exactly where you have us in this season. And you are doing something in your life. If we are a follower of Jesus, if we're being faithful to you, you you are using that for our good and for your glory in this time and in this season, no matter what. That you've never called someone to comfort, not once. But as we forsake our comfort, our friends and our neighbors, our coworkers find the unbelievable comfort that is found in knowing Christ. And so might you use this season of our life. Might you shape us and form us and mold us into your image from one degree of glory to another in this season of our lives. Might you help us to walk faithfully before you. And might we look back years from now when we're old and gray, or maybe in eternity when you've brought it all to completion. In that moment, we'll say, thanks for that. Thanks for that confusion. Thanks for that dark hour of the soul. Thanks for that discomfort. Thanks for keeping me faithful in the midst of it. Be with us. Be with the people first, flourishing grace, as they seek to love you to that end. I pray these things in your name, in the name of Jesus, amen.